Welcome to episode two of the LED Project Podcast. I am Kyle Krieger along with Wilkie Law and we are Lighthouse Educator Development. Now, if you want to support us, uh, go on to Facebook, look us up, Lighthouse Educator Development uh, on Facebook and like us. That would be a huge help for us. So Wilkie's going to kick it off tonight. What's going on? What's going on? Um, I just want to first, uh, we did the first podcast and we kind of just sit here and we talk about Lighthouse Educator Development, the project that we're working on. Um, and before anybody asks questions, I know uh, my family has been asking me about what's going on with my voice. Uh, I just want to put it out there to everybody. Um, no, it's not tone loke, um, but I'm actually going into surgery on Wednesday to uh, fix a paralyzed vocal cord. And hopefully I'll be back to normal um, at the next podcast. So if you're, if you're a believer, send up one for me. And we can get going um, and uh, make sure the doctors are just skilled at that. So that's out the way. But um, with us, we, we want to make sure that we are portraying who we are all the time and not just putting a facade on for people and be original. So I figured that we spend this time kind of letting you know a little bit about who we are. Um, as for me, I've been in education. This is my 10th year in public school education. And... I think most teachers can attest to this, that my first three to four years probably were not my best. Uh, By year four or five, I kind of got my bearings. By year six, seven, and eight, I felt like I was in the groove. Um, I've I've been privileged that I've been strictly math content um, most of my uh, teaching career. And I think it's it's helped me kind of develop myself as a mathematician, but also as a, as a person in general. So um, that's kind of my backstory um, with uh, my teaching career and just earned my master's degree from Concordia. Big shout out to Concordia University and Portland. Um, just got my master's in educational leadership and I have no desire to be an assistant principal or principal. Um, my, my focus is on teacher development and that's where uh, me and Kyle are going to drop it and, and stay there until every student has the teacher that they deserve. So, Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, my backstory, a little bit in education, I spent the last seven years teaching uh, social studies. So I taught Texas history, I taught U.S. history, and I also taught world geography to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Uh, did a bunch of coaching when I was at the 7th and 8th grade campus. Uh, but did not when I was at the sixth grade campus. I moved to Houston from a small town called Cumberland, Wisconsin. It's way up in northwest Wisconsin. It's about 80 miles east of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So uh, 2008, I graduated college from Winona State University, and it was kind of in the time of the downturn, and there were not a lot of jobs. So I spent a year substitute teaching, living with my sister uh, in a town near where I grew up, and it, it just wasn't the fit for me. So I made up my mind, you know, September, October of 2008, that the next job offer I got, I was going to take. And and thankfully, it was in Houston and in Aldean ISD. Uh, I went to a job fair in Minneapolis, met with a guy uh, from Aldean, and he said, I don't have any jobs right now, but will you come down and interview in June? Well, I'll have some jobs by then. I, I flew down in June, I wasn't in Houston maybe 24 hours, did like seven interviews in one day. 
and got a call back a few weeks later and offered a job. At, and I moved um, in August of 2009 to Houston, uh, a city that has more people than the entire state of Wisconsin, uh, where I didn't know anyone. But thankfully, I had a ton of people, you know, since day one that I've been here looking out for me. And and as I've grown here, you know, my friend groups have kind of changed. I, I have a huge group of friends and family at a, uh, a CrossFit gym called CrossFit Point Break in Spring, Texas. So big ups to my Point Break family. But um, I've grown a lot, especially these last three years. When uh, when I transferred to Stellick, the school where Will, where Will was at, I was kind of going through a really rough time. The, the prior year, um, I had a really rough go of it. Um, I was told several times that my responsibilities of coaching were not to supersede my responsibilities as a teacher, but it was always kind of a back doorway. Like at the end of football season, I was told that I shouldn't have been giving my conference period during football season to coach. And it got a little worse when later on down the road, I was told that if my test scores wouldn't, didn't come up, that my coaching position was going to be pulled for track. So um, that kind of mellowed itself out, but that really kind of solidified me leaving my first school. And, and it really didn't put me in a good position to go to my second school. Uh, but luckily, I got put on a team with Wilkie. And, you know, like we talked a little bit about last week, he gave me the space, not just uh, to grow, but he asked the right questions at the right times. And I was really, um, really, really thankful for that. And that relationship has blossomed into, you know, what we're doing with Lighthouse Educator Development and, uh, the goal of, we, we are launching our first Lighthouse Teacher Academy in August of 2017. We'll, we'll be starting to kind of publicize that and, and looking for applicants soon, but, uh, it's been a crazy ride. Yeah, let's go back real quick to this Winona State University. Winona, Winona not Winona. My bad, my bad. Winona State. Winona State University. How many students were on campus at Winona State? Uh, I want to say like 8,500. 8,500. Okay. And you said that Cumberland had about how many? Cumberland, if you count like a 10-mile radius, has 2,200 people. 2,200 people. Okay. My, the... Winona, the town I went to college in, I think has forty or fifty thousand. Okay. I'm a Bobcat from a Texas State, uh, Southwest Texas State University. To all my SWT Bobcats out there, SWT for life. Um, you know, it's interesting that you know we 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 kind of started when we did our Inspire for All Dean. We were kind of doing a tale of two teachers um, because Kyle came from the traditional route of educator. Uh, being in education, learning all the pedagogical, pedagogical things that he should learn, and um, but coming from a small town to a big city, and I went the alternative route. Um, I was from Houston, born and raised. Uh, actually, I can say I grew up in the inner city, um, and 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 it was it was a challenge for me, but my entire life has been big city living. Um, and so my challenge was when I went to college, I went from Houston to San Marcos, where, you know, the population of the town was maybe 30,000. The university at the time was about 28,000. Um, and that's really a neighborhood in Houston. Um, and, but I think that the experience of being able to go up there 
and to to find myself as an individual, as a person. I found a great group of friends there. Um, still, still connected with them. Big shout out to all my hillside hillside riders. Um, started con- promoting parties and doing things, trying to bring this Houston city life to a small town. And coming back here to settle down in Houston, it's kind of ironic that you would say, okay, I'm going to take this kid from the inner city who really dropped out of school, stopped wanting to be in school, and now I'm going to put you in a classroom and teach sixth graders and math at that because my story is that I, I stopped going to class because of math when I was in sixth grade. Uh, so um, to be where we are right now, I think it's really, it kind of shows you the power of education that it brings people together from different backgrounds, but have a similar goal and a mission, which is truly to make, no pun to, to President Trump, but to truly make America great again in a serious sense, not just a, not just a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Come on, social scientists. Um, not just a theoretical, yeah. make America great. But, yeah, a platitude. Right, not just from that standpoint, but really, how do you make America great? Is that you got to have great teachers. Yeah, and and that's the thing we agree on in terms of education that education is not going to change no matter who the administration is, no matter what they do or or what the different state and local entities do. It's going to change because of teachers. I mean, and you can look right now in the last week or just yesterday. I mean, we're recording this on Sunday and just in the last couple of days, there have been thousands of people protesting in the airports, the uh, ban on people from those seven countries coming into the United States. And that's not necessarily what teachers are going to do, although they do protest, but it just shows you that people are the engines of, and the entities of change. You know, and, and I, I, just to kind of illustrate the difference between the two of us, we talked about, you know, we don't like the word reform, neither one of us. I prefer the word revival. I like the word renaissance. I, I, I like revival just because of the overall excitement and the energy. I'm, I'm a high energy person. I have a hard time gearing it down. So that, that idea of revival where it's just like, you know, a Tony Robbins special in the classroom, you know, that's, that's, that's my thing, listening to loud country music, so, but we know that those two words are synonymous, they mean the same thing, it's, it's just taking something back to what it was really meant to be, and, and we're not even talking about taking it back to what it's meant to be in America, taking it back to, you know, historically and traditionally, what education means and what education is for. What it's always been, though, I mean, you think about it. Our first teachers are our parents. And if we even go more primitive to that, if you look in the animal kingdom, you know, you have African elephants who throughout the generations have beaten down paths of migration. Then they teach their young the same path so that they can teach their young and pass it down. So learning is not something that, that you can say it's a unique human thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a unique thing for all beings. And I think when you look at how do all beings learn? It's through the same way. It's through those formed relationships, which is what we should, what we've been talking about. Is that without with the without a true authentic relationship, no type of learning is ever going to take place. Uh, so it kind of puts you in a position to say, okay, where do you put your focus in as administrators, as 
as policymakers, where do you put your focus? Do you put your focus on the policy, the test, the end game? Which is another question because I don't think we've ever really gotten a direct answer of what the end game of education is. Um, some people say college and career readiness. Some of our kids are not going to go to college. Uh, some people say, oh, they just need to be able to go into a good job, but how are we really preparing them to go into a good job? You know, vocational training has been almost stripped out of it public education. Uh, I remember we used to take in class industrial technology. Mm-hmm. You know, fancy way to say woodshop. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yep, I took woodshop for sure. You know, we learned how to build birdhouses and, you know, how to make mailboxes and things like that. So that if you did not want to go to college, you would do that course or that course. You would find, oh, you know what? I really like working with my hands. Let me further this. Most of our best carpenters are not degree engineers. You know, most of our best contractors that do the work in our house are not people who went to college. They're people who, who learned the trade and they carried on and continued to learn it. And they built themselves up to where they could actually now make a living from that. And I don't see anything wrong with that, but education is not geared for those students. You know, we talk to students about going to college who says, well, on the weekends, my dad, my dad's apprentice. He's a, you know, he's an electrician. He's teaching me already how to do this. So why would I push college on this kid when he's saying, I'm going to take my dad's business when he goes out of the way. You know, that's, it's, you know, it's kind of almost like a double-edged sword, you know, we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't kind of deal. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important, you know, it's, but it's really, I don't feel like it's our job as teachers to, you know, tell that kid what the right path is for them, you know, and I felt like, a lot of teachers judge like if that kid's really passionate about being an electrician or working on cars and they do a great job, awesome. They're going to do a great, great job, but you can still teach them skills. We you can know, still teach them skills. Right. It's funny you say that. I don't mean to cut you, but there's a student I had and he, he started out the year rough. He, he didn't want to work, didn't want to do anything. All he talked about was building, building sound systems inside of cars. And, when I connected with him and I gave him a, a magazine that showed uh, people building cars and doing these things from scratch, he got so excited, so we connected. Fast forward two years, he leaves, goes on to middle school, comes back, shows me a picture. He said, hey, I want to show you my ATV. I wired it with, with, with his own stereo system and speakers, and I even have a TV that I can watch, but it only comes on when I'm stopped. And so this, here's a kid who most teachers probably would have wrote off because of his inattention to the math content, his inattention to the language arts. But I made a connection with him to say, look, if you're dealing with wires, you're dealing with electrical, it's a good idea for you to know how you're going to know how many how many meters that you're going to need of wire when you're building a car, when you're building a system. How you're going to know how much speaker wire you're going to need. So we kind of connected, and then he came back and said, look, from that, this is what I've done. You know what I mean? So it's like, I didn't tell him, no, you can't do that. No, that's crazy. You need to go to college. I said, no, hey, if that's what you want to do, let me show you how education fits with that. Yeah, and it's it's not a mentality of, we have to change the mentality from, let me tell you what to do, to giving you the opportunity to, you tell me. You, you, you tell me what you want to do, and then show me. But you know, it's amazing that right now, I've asked 
That's my thing I always ask students, sixth graders. What do you want to do when you grow up? It's amazing how many I don't knows I get today compared to just six, seven years ago. You know, when I was growing up, it was almost, we were, we were taught to look into what you wanted to do. You know, I started out saying, I want to be a doctor. I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals. I loved dogs. Then I found out that veterinarians worked on cats and cows and pigs and all these other things. I wasn't trying to do that. But it was through my exploration that I kind of experienced what these other positions had to offer that led me to ultimately say, you know what? I want to teach. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you're saying, this is what we talked about with your new teachers a couple weeks ago, is the attention span and and the, the vision or the, the perspective that these kids have now is so much shorter. They're taught to consume everything in 10 seconds, two minutes, five minutes, Snapchat. Ten, 10 minutes, you know, an hour and a half movie. And we forget that in that, they have a hard time seeing six years in the future. They have a hard time seeing a year in the future. They have a hard time seeing a day in the future. And that's a skill that we need to really work on them with and we need to display because as adults and as teachers, we're a lot of us are just as bad with social media. Our attention spans are a lot shorter than they used to be. So we need to stop acting like it is what it's not. Like stop having this romantic view of what education is and stop trying to say that these kids are the same kids as 10 years ago because they're not. They live in a completely different world. I mean, our sixth graders, 90% of them have an iPhone. I was 19 when I got my first cell phone and was on my way to college. I didn't know what Wi-Fi internet was until I got to college. And in 2003, my university was one of the first to offer Wi-Fi on campus and a laptop computer as part of your tuition. Big shout out to Winona. Winona, man. <laughs> it's a town, not a country singer. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. You know, it's just like, you know, I think that no matter how much education, how much everything changes around education and changes around this craft, the one thing that remains paramount is the idea of relationships. Um, you know, I think, go back to when I think about my mom, my dad teaching me things. I learned it because I respected and revered the relationship. And I knew that whatever they're showing me would have relevance into what I'm going to try to do and go into. And I think that this day and age, you know, I sent you the text the other day about how many teachers are resorting to bullying for classroom management versus connecting for classroom management. Because a bullying tool, I mean, if you look at the definition, is someone exerting their power and their will on someone who's lesser than them. So... I mean, a lot of times, teachers, you, you hear it, and I don't think it's it, it's intentional, but we've all heard it. Don't smile till December. You know, don't do this. And I do firmly believe that you have to be a stickler for the rules in the very first few weeks of schools, the procedures, the policies, how you want your classroom to look, and then slowly, gradually, you can come out. But to say don't smile for the first three, four months of school, because that's supposed to some kind of way to teach students that you're hard, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just it's comical to me, really. 
yeah. that, that that's that's how you would want to do it. But if you transfer that same thinking, if you got a brand new puppy, oh god, and I'm just gonna sound bad. You got a brand new puppy. Nobody gets a brand new puppy and says, I'm not gonna smile when I bring the puppy home or I'm gonna yell at the puppy every time he walks in. No. We're even lenient when puppies have accidents because we excuse them and say, it's just a puppy. They're learning. But when we get to school and we have kids who can't stop talking, can't sit still, can't do this, we, we beat them over the heads. But don't we realize they're just like that puppy? They're learning. And depending on how you present it to them, they're not going to get it from you. You yell at me to get me to fall in line, but that doesn't really correct my behavior. That just antagonizes me. And it builds up a wall between you and I. So when you want to try to connect with me, I'm not connecting with you because I'm waiting for you to yell at me the next time. And that's the mindset of our kids. It's it's what they learn. It's their exactly. learned behavior. It And they learn as much from what you say as what you do as what you do. And, you know, the thing we underestimate as teachers, too, is... Our kids are not going to learn all the lessons and apply them while we still have them. You know, you talked about your parents. I look at my family and I'm at 32 realizing things that I learned from my mom and my dad and my grandparents. Like you were talking about carpentry. My grandpa is 84 and still does carpentry work for almost everyone in our small town. And I don't know that he ever went to school to be a carpenter. He just learned it and learned it over time so that people, when they need something, they go to him because they know it's going to get done right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that discipline and those things and those characteristics, like my dad is a super selfless person. One of the most selfless people I've ever come across, you know, and I'm learning more and more and I can look back and I can see all the times where he gave that example. And, you know, we can't underestimate, you know, and like you were saying with this, you know, the testing culture that we have, we limit ourselves as teachers to what impact we can have to the right now. Mm -hmm. We're not giving ourselves the opportunity to impact a kid for a lifetime. And that's where, at the heart of teaching, it's not, you know, I was telling the teacher the other day, it's not, this is not a sprint. This is not even a marathon. It's more like a steeplechase you know, cross-country run because, you know, I said, I ran, I remember the very first time I, I did a 5K. I did a 5K 45 minutes first time. I'm like, Psh. But then I go to a 5K mud, mud run. I couldn't do it in 45 minutes. Why? Because there were obstacles in front of me. I had to get dirty. I had to get wet. I had to dry off. I had to climb over stuff, climb through stuff, dig under stuff. And that's what education is like because when we get into the classroom, we don't know what we have to go through, what we have to overcome, what we have to dig under, push out of the way, wipe out of the way, rinse off because these kids come with so much baggage. These kids in their short years have experienced stuff that most adults have never experienced. Never experienced. And I think that my experience growing up in the inner city connects with them even though they're not inner city kids, they're the they're the they're the children of inner city parents. Most of our population, and because of that, that's a unique mentality, 
because these kids are connecting to stories that they heard from their parents of what the inner city was like. And they're transferring that mentality into almost a suburban uh, setting. But like I tell them, you can, if you really want to see inner city, and you go back to your third wars, your fifth wars, your Denver Harbors, second ward, you'll see that these kids are really living that inner city life. But I'll tell you this much, the behavior in most of those schools are a little bit better than what we deal with. I think because those kids are scratching to get out of what they see, and our kids are scratching and crying to get back to something they never knew. Yeah. And I know that's a wild assumption, but I tell kids all the time, you grew up in the suburbs. Inner city is, Houston is anything inside the loop of 16. Okay. We teach at the Beltway. You know, my school is at the Beltway at 45. So where it may be a low income or economically disadvantaged area, it's not what we would consider inner city. No. You know, people there say I'm going into town to go downtown. You know, Downtown was in my backyard growing up. Yeah. You know, we could walk to downtown Houston, literally. You know, and but it's getting those kids to know, like my parents taught us, don't look at where you are and think that that's all you can have. You know, my mom and dad, neither one of them graduated college. Neither one. But all of their children went to college, pursued college, or pursued, it, uh, pursued a train that would get them to the place they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think it's about where you're coming from. It's about what you, what do you, where do you see yourself, and how do you want to make your life your life? Yeah, and as teachers, it's it's difficult with all of the things that are put onto us and the parameters we have. But if we only limit ourselves to those parameters that we give kids and how we assess what they know and who they are, because we were talking before we started recording. I'm a firm believer that every single person on this planet is made to learn and wants to learn. Absolutely. And if as teachers we don't take that and make that our North Star, is that every single person wants to learn, they're never going to learn. We've talked about that before, the true North. (laughs) You know, it's like when you think about it, um, it's amazing. You hear teachers all the time, they just can't learn. I always taught my kids that they're like, I'm not smart. So I'll go to the dictionary where you look up smart. Smart simply says you have the ability to learn. And I say, did someone tie your shoes this morning? No, I did. How did you do that? Oh, my mom and dad taught me how to do it. So you learned how to tie your shoe. So now you can tie your shoes for yourself. Therefore, you're smart. Now, what you do to obtain more knowledge is up to you. Whether or not you choose to become, as most of our kids, street smart. Because we have to understand and respect that there are two sides to our kids. Because they come to school, we have to teach them in a school setting. Which is a totally different set of rules that they go home to every single night. In the street they say, oh, snitches get stitches. But in our home life, if I watch, if I'm watching someone break into my neighbor's house, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, snitches get stitches. I'm not going to call the police and report that. No, I'm going to report it. Why? Because there's a difference in the mentality and the mindset. 
And we have to make sure that we show the kids that what you experience at home may be what you experience at home. But that's not the way of the world. But I think social media, I think um, media in general has kind of taken our kids' ears and our eyes and kind of polarized this image of it's okay to be stupid and do stupid things. And that's okay. Well, and also, too, it's there's so much negativity out there. It's It's hard to cut through that noise of all... I mean, there's so many good things and great people in the world and the, the percentage of human beings that do really bad things is so, so small. But that's all we hear about and that's all that gets attention. And, you know, as teachers, we need to really, you know, be the example that that's not the way the world works. And it, you can't just tell a kid, and I tried this a lot of times, that's not the way the world works. You have to show them that that, that isn't the way the world works. Because these kids only care about what you can show them. And they only care about what has their attention. Absolutely. You know, so uh, I think on that note, we'll, we'll stop it for uh, today. We appreciate you listening. Like I said earlier, if you want to support us, support us the best place to do that is on Facebook. We are Lighthouse Educator Development. And uh, watch out for the announcements on the Lighthouse Teacher Academy as well as some of the sessions we're going to be having here in Houston over the coming months. We, uh, we really appreciate your time. Hope you do well and have a great week.